If you have children, kindergarten through fifth grade, they may go to children's church out the doors to my left, your right, and the rest of us will turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. If you're using the Pew Bibles, that's page 11 in the Pew Bible in front of you. For those of you new or maybe just uh, been here this year because of different travels and sickness and all sorts of things going on, uh, we are going cover to cover. That's what that little symbol means uh, as we actually read through the Bible together, that we have personal readings through the entire books of Scripture, Uh, not every day and not every week, uh, but we're walking through that by the end of 2018. And then we get together, then I preach on a passage uh, as we learn who God is. And uh, today we're looking this mini-series, we call it the In the Beginning. And we think about it as being the in the beginning of us, which is true. And we think of the in the beginning of the world, and that's true. But I think what we learn mostly through these passages and through this scripture here in Genesis is who God is and why it's important to know God and why it's important to follow him. And today, one of the characteristics that we're going to learn about God is he is a promise-keeping God. So let's just read through verse 6 of chapter 15, and then we're going to read through the rest of it later, but let's just go through verse 6 right now. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can, I, can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord, and it credited it to him as righteousness. Let's pray. God, right now, Lord, we know that your word is true and your promises are true. And as we understand your word, help us to to be drawn into your heart, to know more about you, so that we fall more deeper in love with you. And that through this, that despite our circumstances and whatever we're going through, we understand that you are a promise-keeping God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My cousin promised to me that... uh, that if we come up to his place in the mountains of Virginia, that me and Franklin would have a day like we never had before. He said, Sean, I promise you, if you come up and you fish in this creek that's up here, you are going to be slaying fish left and right. You're just going to be tired from getting, reeling in so many fish. It'll be a fun afternoon for Franklin. Uh, you guys need to come up here. And so we did. It just worked out that last summer. We made a special trip about an hour and a half north into the mountains while we were in and went up to the creek and, and fished. He said, Sean, I promise you it's going to be good. We, I stock this, this hole. Uh, we have an automatic fish feeder. So there's some huge fish in there. You're going to love it. Now, here's where his part was true. When we showed up, it was a very still day. And we could actually see to the bottom of the of the creek 
And there were, there were monsters, probably about 30 fish, probably a foot or more longer. I mean, we thought, oh, this is great. We're going to be catching fish left and right. I'm just going to make sure he has the right uh, test pound line on here because some of these fish are pretty big. I don't know if his little, little rod and reel are going to be able to handle this, but we're going to have a great day. And so he cast, cast, the, fish, you know, cast the rod in there. Nothing. He cast it again. Nothing. Cast it again. Nothing. So for an hour and a half, here we thought we were promised this this day unlike any other day, and nothing for an hour and a half. And finally, we heard this. And at a certain time, the fish feeder came on. It went went all over the water. And then guess what happened? All the fish ran over to that food. Over time, my cousin had basically trained these fish to wait for this food that would come to have from heaven, I guess, uh, to them, and, and not catch anything that we were throwing out there as bait. Now, what he promised didn't come to fruition. Now, I will have to say, we still had a good time. We rode four-wheelers and ATVs and found another little spot that we did catch some fish for a little bit. Uh, but his promise fell through. I don't know about you, but I know times when others have broken their promise to me. I also know probably a lot more times that I've broken my promise to others. On both ends of promises throughout our lives, some of us have grown spoiled to promises because we fail on both ends of the equation. However, God never breaks his promises. And don't let the broken promises of this world spoil you in understanding to believe the promises of God. God will always act on his promises. Numbers 23, 19 tells us that God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. Does he, not, does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? Later on, Peter writes that his very promises are the foundation of our salvation. Peter, 2 Peter 3.13 says, But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. God promises that he will never leave us or forsake us in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. And when he says these things, friends, he means exactly what he says. So whatever you're going through today, lean heavily on the promise of God. They will never fail. Or maybe it's better said this way, that the promises do not fail because God never fails. Reading these passages over the last few weeks, you would have read the promise of God to Noah that he promised with the rainbow to never wipe people off the earth with, flood, with a flood again. He also promised that Satan would be crushed by the seed of Eve for telling the coming of Jesus. You had also read about the promise of, to Job that we have just read about. But here we understand why can we trust the promises of God? Well, because God comes through with his promises. This week you read about Abram, how God sovereignly chose him to bring about a people who would call him his own and worship him. 
As we learn about Abram, there was nothing special about him. There was no distinguishing leadership characteristic. There was no special people for him to be called out of. But in God's sovereignty and plan, he chose a man and a family to give him a land that he would possess. But the problem was, God never said where that land was. Can you imagine the conversation Abram had with Sarah? God's told me to go take a land. Let's pack everything up. Okay, where are we going? Uh, He didn't tell us that part yet. Here we see that even in this, Abram knew to trust the promise of God, that he would follow him. But then God promises even further that he would give him offspring. The problem with this is that Abram's age, 80 years old, this was just as rare and as crazy as we would think it would happen today. In this passage, we learn that God is a promise-keeping God. So if you're struggling to trust God in obedience or you're going through a trial, it is not because you need to do it on your own, but instead you need to remember that it is a God who keeps his promises. In this, I want us to learn three truths about this promise-keeping God. The first is this, God's promises comes with supernatural provisions, God's promises come with supernatural provisions. Uh, Abram's defeat of the eastern kings had just occurred, but we find that Abram is no better off. Despite the promises, he didn't have any ownership of the land, and he didn't have any children still yet. His nephew Lot, who he hoped might succeed him, was living in Sodom, and the only heir he could account for was Eliezer, one of his servants. God, therefore, spoke right to Abram's heart. As Abram was sleeping, he had a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram, God says. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Abram's disappointment was dealt directly with by God. He first said, do not be fearful. I am a God who keeps my promises. And how am I going to keep them? One, I'm going to be your shield. I'm going to be your protection. Abram's already seen where his protection has taken place, but God says, Abram, I'm going to continue to watch over you. I'm going to always protect you. Abram, I have your back. Isn't it good to know that God promises that he will shield us? He will protect us. But he goes further and says, Abram, your reward will be very great. This rewards here, the word or term for reward means labor's wages. The reward or wage for Abram's faith that God promised to give would be fame, fertility, and favor. But then Abram unloads on God in these next few verses in exasperation. He says, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eliza of Damascus? Look, you've given me no offspring, so a slave will be my heir. Abram responds how his heart felt. Many times that's how we respond. We don't trust in God's faithfulness. We see in Abram's life that he's not a perfect person. He he goes and makes his own provisions. He he lies when the rulers, uh, uh, who is Sarah, well, he says, tell him not, you're not my wife. Tell him you're my sister. Uh, he has uh, offspring with one of his slaves. He didn't trust God's promises all the time, but he should have. 
The same God who brought him out of Ur would promise to give him land and children. He unloads in this exasperation, but God speaks directly to him. He takes him outside and says, look up to the stars. If you could even try to count these stars, this is how many children I'm going to give you. An Australian astronomer used some of the world's most powerful instruments to measure the brightness of all the galaxies in just one sector. And when he calculated the stars, he found that just in one sector of the galaxy, there was 70 sextillion stars, or that's seven followed by 22 zeros. And if, it, if you counted every one of those stars in just one sector of the universe, it would take you 300 million years if you counted each star each second of the day. Here we see that this was a miraculous provision that is about to be given by God. God was going to give someone, a man and his wife, in their 80s, children that would be more numerous than they could count. Now, God provided this provision because, God, because Abram trusted him. It's just like in my life when I was concerned that God would take care of my family or take care of something in my life. It's always wanting, the temptation is for me to do it on my own terms, to do it in my own wisdom, to do it in my own plan. When we moved here from Virginia, I was nervous and worried because God had called me here to serve and yet we couldn't find housing. And we prayed and we looked and we called and we looked and we, we, we asked and we searched web pages and, we, and finally the last minute, God used a faithful family in a different church to provide for us more than we could ever need. You see, when we act and trust in God, He will supernaturally provide in a way that only He can. So let's not be tempted to, to falter or tempted to do it on our own, but re, be reminded that all of God's promises are matched with all of God's power. And let's trust in Him. Secondly, faith in God's promises gain us righteousness. Verse 6, after God had shown this to Abram, verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. God had promised something quite impossible to Abram. Not improbable, impossible. 80 plus year old couples don't have babies. But here was God promising just that. Put yourself in Abram's shoes. Imagine if you had woken up from this vision, uh, you would have thought to yourself, shaking your head, said, what did I think about? That's the last time I'm eating chocolate before I go to bed. But Abram didn't react that way. When he faced the unthinkable, look at what, how he responded. Abram believed the Lord. It was that surefire faith in God, in his promises. Abram believed the Lord. This verse is more than one of the more important verses in all of the Bible because it answers the question how can one be made right with God? The kinds of answers that often follow this question are go to church, obey the Ten Commandments, read the Bible more often, but so and so on. But we need to notice something quite refreshing. How can we be made right with God? Abram just 
believed. We need to take God at His word. If we want to be restored to God, be saved by God, it's not to perform works. It's not to do our best. It is instead to trust in the one true promise maker who gives us salvation through faith alone. He simply had to trust what God said. And what happened to Abram? It was counted to him as righteousness. God credited Abram's righteousness or right standing with God because of his faithfulness. And this is what distinguishes Christianity from every other faith in the world. Because our faith, our faith in God, our faith in the promise keeper saves. We learn this in Paul's writings in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul writes, Just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him Uh, for righteousness you know then that those who have faith these are Abraham's sons now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham saying all the nations will be blessed through you consequently those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who was hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Look, Abram, Abram's faith saved him, made him right by God, but it was a foretelling, is the forbearing of the faith that saves all people. Look, we know Abram wasn't perfect. We know he made mistakes. We know that he got tired of waiting and took things into his own hand. But if our salvation is dependent upon us, we will always fail. But our salvation is dependent on faith in the one true God, the one true Savior, the one who hung on a tree in our place. It is his righteousness that we get by faith. And our salvation isn't dependent on us, but on dependent on the one true Savior, God. If in faith we have trusted God, that He will overlook our failures. And He will look at us, righteous, counted to us in Christ. So maybe today you feel that God could not love you. Maybe you feel like you've been gone far too long. But friends, What Abram's story tells us is that faith credits to us righteousness in Christ. That you can be forgiven. That by faith in Jesus, you can be made new. You can be born again. You can be his child. And just as Abraham was promised many children in the faith, we are now Abraham's children. You are forgiven by your faith in God. Thirdly, we understand this, that God will always uphold his promises. God lays out a plan to Abram. 
He tells them of the exile to Egypt, of exodus to the land. And then he promises all of this will happen because he is God. Let's read from verse 7 to the end of the section. God also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur from Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? He said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And so he brought all of these, cut them in half, and laid them in pieces opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And as the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nations they serve, and and afterwards they will go out with many possessions." But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet its full, reached its full measure. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the dividing, divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt, to the great rivers, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hethites, Parasites, uh, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. God had promised to give something improbable and impossible to Abram, but he promises that it is him alone that this promise will be upheld. He didn't say, Abram, how do you know that you're going to possess the land? Well, if you, if you get this many more cattle, or you have this many children, or you by force take this much land. No, God makes a covenant that is dependent on him alone and not what Abraham does. The sovereign God makes a covenant with Abram by performing an ancient contract ritual. In those days, there were four different covenants that could be made. There was the salt covenant where you would hand salt to one another. And uh, you can read about that in Chronicles, I believe. And then there was the shoe covenant. It was a, there was a, a covenant that you hand a shoe of promise. And you read about that in Ruth. There was a hand promise, you know, handshake promise, kind of where we get that handshake deal that uh, let us go together and join in this covenant. But the most intense covenant and agreement of all was the one that we see here on display in verse 15, chapter 15. They would cut animals in between and put one side of the animal on one side and one on the other, and the blood would pool in the middle. And the one who was establishing this covenant, the one that relied on the covenant alone first, would go through uh, the the uh, blood and say, in essence was saying, may I be like these animals on the ground if I don't fulfill what I said to you. And then the person that he made the deal with would then follow up with him and go through the same thing. But do you notice? He didn't say, Abram, go through these animals. He didn't say, Abram, would you make sure you, you complete this covenant? What happened? Abram went into a deep sleep. And he saw a smoking pot and a torch 
appear. We know that by the scriptures that uh, smoke uh, is a, something linked to God. And think about the, the smoke that came down on the mountain uh, with Moses, the, the presence of God, or, or over in the book of Isaiah, how the presence of God is filled with a holy smoke. But we also know that a torch, fire, uh, the burning bush appearing to Moses, or the, the, the burning pillar that led the Egyptians away, uh, excuse me, the Israelites away from Egypt. The presence of God is a burning fire. And as, the, as, as Abram watched, it was God through a smoking pot went through these animals. And then God through a flaming torch went through this, ultimately saying this, Abram, it's not up to you to keep this promise. It's not up for you to fulfill these things. It is me and me alone. Because we know Abram, if he, a, a portion of that blood would have touched his body he knows that that covenant would not have stand. Abram was full of sin, just like us, and failing. But God himself went through and said, I promise I will do this. No matter whether you deserve it, no matter if you fail, no matter how far you run from me, I will keep my covenant with you. How do we know this? Well, we know that in tradition, in Jewish tradition, that this covenant became something that the Jewish people would continue to do. Uh, they wouldn't do this as in putting the body parts, but what they would do was they would sacrifice a, a, a pure sheep both at 9 a.m. and at 3 p.m. every day. The chauffeur would sound, the priest in the temple would cut the throat of the sheep, in essence saying this to God, in worship, God, you are the true God, remember your promise to us. Both at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., every day this would happen. But what we know and how we can trust a promise-keeping God is that God said, despite your failures, I will keep my promise, even if it means I will be like these animals on the ground, torn and killed for you. In Mark chapter 15, verse 22, then Jesus, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but they didn't, he did not take it. Then they crucified him and divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. So friends, you hear the chauffeur sound. You hear the priest cut the throat of the lamb. But on the other end of town, the lamb of God was nailed to a tree. But it didn't stop there. Mark chapter 15, verse 33 when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And verse 37, Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So the second time this promise would have been called out, God, remember your promise. The chauffeur sound, the lamb would have been slain. And on the other end of town, Jesus cries out, it is finished. From now on, God remembered his promise. Despite our failures, despite our cruelty, 
despite us not keeping our end of the deal, God kept his. We will possess a land, a land forever in heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because of a faithful God who loved us despite our sin and crucified his son so that he would take the penalty of our shame and our sin. Friend, let me ask you here today, why would you stay away from a promise-keeping God when he's given his son for you? Why would we ever fret? Why would we ever fall into anxiety? Why would we trust any other name except for the name God, the Lord God of heaven, who is a faithful promise keeper? Aren't you glad that he keeps his promises today? Aren't you glad that he is a God who loves us? Friends, today, maybe today, you need to trust in his promise of salvation through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today by the invitation of a friend, or maybe you came with a family member. Listen to this. God credited faith and righteousness to Abraham. He will credit righteousness in faith of his son, Jesus. Would you accept him today? Would you trust him and be born again? Will you be made new in Christ by the promise-keeping God? Let us pray. God, we are thankful for this promise and your faithfulness. We pray, God, as we have gathered today that we worship you, that we end up worshiping you because of this wonderful, true, promise-keeping God. Thank you for your word that helps us to see that, God, from the beginning of time, you knew the promise would be kept by your own goodness. God, I pray today for maybe some of us here struggling, struggling at work, struggling with a relationship, struggling with with obedience. May we trust you, a promise-keeping God. Trust your word. Trust and obey. May we trust that you are working for our good and for your glory. And I pray, God, this morning, if there's someone here that needs to know you, to come into saving faith, to become a child of Abraham, to become a child of God, that by faith they would reach out and be saved through your son, Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.